Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Resolist Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. I am not feeling particularly reasonable this morning as we record. Hopefully, my guest is uh, Eric Green. Eric, welcome. What level of reasonability are you operating at right now? Um, I guess you using the word reasonability really annoyed me, so probably not very high. It's probably a low level of... uh, Reasonable, reasonableness, reason, reason would be the uh... yes. I think that's the correct word. Um, but I'm sure we'll get there. You know, we talk ourselves into the middle. Uh, that's what we do. Yeah, I did it okay after the game last night in uh, my recap for Raptors Republic. I think, uh, but there are non-Raptors things making me unreasonable this morning. So uh, to... chief among them. Yes. Sorry. What were you gonna say? I say you want to talk it out, buddy. And, and, yeah, I do and, want to talk about it. Yeah. First of all, um, we know the audio quality is poor and inconsistent. So I went out and I got a USB mixer and I got a XLR mic and this fancy new mic stand that looks really badass and really, um, you know, it makes the room that I record in look less like a room uh, befitting the sound quality that we normally produce. It looks cool, except that I don't have everything I need and my computer won't read the USB mixer for some reason. So... Um, I'm at the mercy of someone named Jason who's been trying to help us out with the audio quality. And today we're just trying a a new style of recording uh, via Zencaster instead of Skype and crossing our fingers that it works. On top of which, uh, I haven't had a coffee yet. Oh no. When you sleep, the amount that I sleep is is a big risk. Oh no. And then there's construction outside. So it's, uh, you know, I don't know. There's whiny. Let's just hope someone named Jason comes through at some point. We'd hope, right? But uh, the real issue is that I think maybe I forgot what it's like after an ugly loss. And, you know, having to play the reasonable middle ground is, it's fine. And I, I enjoy it most of the time. But well, you don't have to, man. You can you can go off. You might get our but when biggest, people, it's more than when other that. people are going off and people come in with the hot takes... I feel like I'm taking a poll and, and like being unreasonable by being in the middle. You know what I mean? Well, when you don't feel like you're aligning with either quote unquote side, then it makes you feel like you're on an extreme, even if that extreme is in the middle. Uh, yeah. We all just don't want to be alone in this world, basically. Yes. Speaking of alone in this world, um, man, I am seeing Julian Baker tonight. Oh, no. Which will rip the any remaining soul out of my body. Um, but there was a really good article um, about her new album and about how her concerts are like communal suffering. Cathartic, uh, if you will. Yeah. I forget the exact term that was. Lonely songs for communal suffering, um, oh. but also lonely songs for communal heal- healing. So, yes. you know, maybe um, that's what that's what Raptors Twitter is after a tough loss like the one on Monday night to the San Antonio Spurs. Communal frustration, or uh, lo- uh, f- songs of frustration for communal healing and understanding. I don't know, man. This has been a rough morning. We're, We're going to make it through, man. We're going to yeah. make it through. Okay, let's talk about this game. Because maybe if we talk about basketball instead of anything Whatever else. Whatever it is we'll we're on. talking about right now. Yes, me rambling about being uh, in a bad mood without saying anything about why. 
Um, okay, so the Toronto Raptors played the San Antonio Spurs. It was the first game of a six-game road trip. Um, they lost 101-97. Normally, losing 101-97 in San Antonio on the first game of a six-game road trip without Jonas Valanciunas, the Toronto Raptors starting center, who's out with a sprained left ankle, uh, that would be okay. A four-point loss in San Antonio is not a terrible outcome. However, Kawhi Leonard didn't play. Tony Parker didn't play. And more frustrating than either of those notes is that this was very much a game the Raptors could have won. I was tied at 81 with about seven and a half minutes left. There were some questionable rotation decisions down the stretch, uh, some foul trouble that befell them, particularly Serge Ibaka. There was the fact that they could not hit a shot or grab a rebound, which kind of made it uh, curious that they were even in the game to begin with. There were a lot of little things you could have um, nitpicked about this game a lot of little things that could have broke differently or the Raptors could have done better that would have led to them winning this game Eric your feelings on the 101 97 loss the San Antonio well, Spurs well the thing that stood out to me was the rebounding uh and that's the worry without Valanciunas frankly is that Serge Ibaka Jakob Pertl and Lucas Nuguera none of them are very good rebounders for the center position or for their whatever they end up playing one of them is and not that, even a great rebounder for the power forward position. And true. Um, and that's where they lost the game. Like, they shot 10 for 38 from three, and they still did enough things that they were right in that game. They were uh, out-rebounded 55 to 34. They surrendered 18 offensive rebounds to the Spurs, um, hauling in only 63% of their potential defensive rebounds, which is not good. Yeah, uh, they... We're letting guards crash. Like this is the this is the Spurs, right? Like the Spurs are known for not crashing the boards, for not getting offensive rebounds. Like that's part of. I mean, we've seen that change a bit in past years, but like you talk to anybody around the league, and they're like, "Yeah, Greg Popovich sort of punts offensive rebounds." So if that's happening to the Spurs, what's it going to happen to? Uh, what's gonna, what's it going to be like? Uh, to a more aggressive team on that end of things. And it's, you know, I don't think the Raptors are necessarily uh, ruined without Jonas Valanciunas, but there has to be more of a collective effort there. And yeah, that might keep them from running out as much as they'd like. It might keep them from getting those threes in transition, which they're missing anyway. Uh, but this is, that's got to be concern number one right now. Uh Concern number two is fouls three and five on Serge Ibaka were awful. Yeah, um, this it was a weirdly officiated game where I wouldn't say it was poor necessarily, but it was no. it was hard to find the line of what was and wasn't a foul. There were like a lot of loose ball fouls, um, and then like letting them play on drives into the lane. It was hard to get a hard to get a gauge. I don't think it was like in favor of one side or the other. It just there's a lot no, of fouls. I don't think- yeah, the especially early in the game, it was. Uh, yeah, the Raptors were in the penalty less than yeah. two, three minutes in. Um, so, how are you going to do? How are you going to do your former team like that, Haywood Workman? <laughs> um, to your rebounding point, so Jakob Pertl had a terrific game. He had twelve rebounds in twenty six minutes off the bench. He also had ten points and a team high plus thirteen. Um, Lucas Nogueira had six rebounds in nineteen minutes. Nobody else had more than four. Serge Ibaka played 25 minutes and only had four. Um, none of the guards or wings topped three rebounds. So you mentioned that it's going to have to be a collective effort. When Murray on the other side is hauling in 14, uh, they actually took a rebound away from him after the game. He had tied the Spurs record for most rebounds by a guard 
with 15, but they took one away. Uh, but when he is like out rebound, one guy is out re- one guard, no less, is out rebounding your entire guard and wing rotation. That's a that's a problem. Yeah, and he was very active last night. He's and great. Frank, yeah, and frankly, not to sound the warning bells, but Kyle Lowry's had a slow start to the year on both ends. I would say. Um, and didn't necessarily do a good job of just stay, not even in a, in a terms of keeping in, keeping him in front of him, just staying with him when the ball was elsewhere. Um, and that was a concern. You know, Manu Ginobili flew in for so for a late game rebound. Uh, and that's again, it's on everybody when the ball goes up. You know, unless you you know your team's in good position to get the rebound. You shouldn't be leaking out or just standing there watching. This is, uh, I hate to drop a cliche, but it's effort level stuff, right? Yeah. Or attention uh, level at, stuff, if not effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's not to say that the Raptors are the best natural rebounding team in the league. They're not. There will be some nights like that, obviously, but they can do better than that against that team. Um we should point out that San Antonio is a very big team across the board. Yeah, and they're, they're uh, top in ten in rebounding on they're top ten in rebounding on both ends early in the year here, and they play two traditional bigs together a lot. But you know, if Joffrey yeah, Lavernier should... is grabbing more rebounds than all but one player on your team, and he's playing small bench minutes, yeah, it's uh, not not great. And I think that's I think because people will use rebounding as a proxy for effort and physicality. I think losing a game where you get hammered on the boards is more frustrating than a game where, you know, the three point shots weren't dropping or another team got hot or you had some turnover trouble. Um, Rebounding is, you know, we don't have uh, an effort stat. So rebounding is the closest thing. So I think people, you know, look at that one and, when that's an explanation for a four-point difference or a potential explanation for a four-point difference, that could be uh, pretty annoying from a fan perspective. This team, this team is kind of skinny. <laughs> like to to use a word that's not often used in the NBA. Like there are not that many broad-shouldered dudes on this team. So I think it's going to happen. It's especially going to happen when Valanciunas is out, but. You know, this is also basketball fundamentals and it's committing to, you know, the most important stat in basketball is possession. Who has the ball like you and you don't want to give them second chances. That is, you know, pretty. And we all know how efficient teams are on second chance opportunities, you know, well above how they would be in a half court offense. And that's where the Raptors lost last night, and it can't become habit. And it's got to be frustrating for them, too, because even with all the offensive rebounds they give up, they only allowed 101 points on 99 possession. So the, that was a great defensive game. They, they held Pretty, the like other than 23-point attempts, which is a great number against a team like the Spurs. So, yeah, you, you only give up 23s, and you hold the team to you know 44% shooting. It is fine, and they don't make the most of their free throw opportunities. And then you give everything back on the offensive glass. Um, that's a tough way to live. So we mentioned the offensive glass or the, the rebounding. That's one way the game could have gone differently. Another is the three point shooting, which at this point we've talked a ton about how, you know, people need to get used to the high variance nature of three point shots. However, uh, are you a little concerned that there hasn't been a high, uh, high variance three point effort on the high end yet? Uh, a bit. 
not overly concerned, but a bit. Like, there are legitimate questions about how this team can uh, can perform as a, a high three-point shooting team. Like, there aren't, beyond the their big three shooters, there just aren't a lot of proven shooters here. Like, if you're relying on DeLon Wright and OG Ananobi and DeMar DeRozan, uh, and, you know, if the centers want to jack it up too, if you're relying on those guys to, you know, even hit, let's say, 33 to 35% of their threes, there's not a track record that that's going to happen. So they have to prove it. They have to be able to do that. And they should keep taking the shots. Yeah. Right now, there's through again, er, it's super early in small samples, everything. They're number two in the NBA in portion of their shots that are coming from behind the arc. Perhaps most encouraging, they're still sixth in free throw rate. So there is some evidence that they're going to be able to navigate this um, heavier emphasis on three-point shooting without sacrificing their ability to get to the line. Um, their assist numbers haven't been terrific. They're averaging 22 a game. A lot of that is because the shots aren't dropping. Like a night on Monday when you only have 16 assists, but you miss you know 30 open threes. Um, so one person who hasn't shot the ball particularly well yet, and you mentioned earlier, has not had the best start to the season at either end of the floor, is Kyle Lowry. Um, Lowry was pretty shaky on Monday, looked a little disinterested, um, has only really had one solid game so far. Um, is there, is this just Lowry easing into things? Is it just a three game blip? What's going on here with Lowry, Eric? He had a slow start last year. I'm not ready to chalk it up to anything beyond he doesn't have his rhythm yet. He's still trying to, you know, find the right balance and how they the team wants to play. Uh, I tend not to get concerned about Kyle Lowry from any perspective other than an injury perspective, and he's not injured. Well, so well, we think he's not injured. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm not. I think it's going to be fine. And a lot of these things that we're talking about, not necessarily rebounding, although Kyle is quite a capable rebounder, you know, considering. But most of the problems we're, we're talking about can be greatly aided by the return of a very good Kyle Lowry, which I expect to happen. Yes. Uh, one potential theory, though. Kyle Lowry is theory. sabotaging the Raptors from the inside, and he's the reason that everyone on the team is too skinny. He took these guys to do too much hot Pilates, knowing that the Raptors would lack the necessary bulk to win physical basketball games. He's still angry he didn't get the five-year max. He's burning it all down from inside with hot Pilates. Um, to what end, other than he's angry he didn't get the five-year max? Because, like... A bunch of teams could have offered him the four-year max, and they didn't. Eric, it wasn't a, a bun- it wasn't a real theory. A bun- what? What? Um, okay, so you, no, it's it's gonna be fine. Like Kyle Lowry is gonna be fine. Uh, people shouldn't worry about that. But you know, it sucks when your best player isn't playing that well. You know who else uh, is? Uh, sorry, that's a poor transition. But you know who's maybe not fine? Demar Derozan, uh, late in the fourth quarter. Uh, Went down on a turnover, was holding his right knee a little bit. Mike Ganter, the Toronto Sun, reported after that he was icing his knee and his hip. And when asked if there was anything serious, he said, we'll see. That's not a, that's not the best response. That's not, that's not a no. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. Uh, I mean, this is, they're already down Jonas something. If they're down to Marta yeah. Rosen, tough sledding. This trip could, this trip could get ugly, but... The trip could have gotten ugly regardless, so... It is a six-game West Coast stop. trip. Yeah, let's just wait and see. And if they're without DeRozan, 
They've shown in the past that they can make do without him. This is a tough part of the schedule. Um, and that would be a big loss because I think all things considered, you know, not so much the first game, but he's navigating he's navigating his role in the quote unquote new offense pretty well so far. If you want to talk positively. I don't. Not this morning. Okay. Um, all right. I, bowl, well, bowl next week, maybe. If the Raptors are missing yeah. two of their best three offensive players against the Golden State Warriors on Wednesday, they're not going to win. Oh, that is um, a piping warm take. Yeah. Um, so, okay, assuming DeRozan is fine-ish, uh, Valanciunas' absence could linger on here. He's traveling with the team. He said it's not too serious. He doesn't need crutches or a walking boot. Um, so this ankle sprain that he suffered Saturday night, they appear to have avoided disaster here. You know, do you have, I, I guess you're not on a trip, so you don't have a sense of when he might be back, but it sounds like he's hoping to be back on this trip sometime. Uh, did, did Monday night kind of highlight at all in your mind? You know, there was so much talk all offseason about getting rid of Valanciunas and saving the money that way, and Ibaka's better off at the five, and all of these things that really didn't have a lot to do with Valanciunas, but, you know, made it sound like Valanciunas should be the outbound piece. This kind of bring back into focus that, hey, even if he's not, you know, a defensive ace or hasn't reached the absolute potential someone had hoped for him, he's still a pretty good and important part of what this team does. Yeah, he's a very important piece over 82 games. And I think, you know, the concern with him is seeing him chased off the floor in the fourth quarters or seeing him, you know, move to the bench because the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks, who, you know, aren't championship caliber team have too many options to exploit him. Like, I think that's a concern. So that's, if you can get out from however many million dollars are left over the next three years, maybe you look to do that. But like over 82 games, Valanciunas absorbs a ton of contacts, a ton of contact. He makes, you know, he's a very valuable piece as a free throw shooter. And uh, as a roller, they are looking for him. DeMar DeRose is looking for him more on the roll this year, which is a welcome sight. Uh, again, it feels strange to, for me to be playing pot, Mr. Positive here, but whatever. Um, yeah, he's, as I said earlier, uh, Pirtle, Nagara, Ibaka, they're not great rebounders. Um, I, like, Pirtle is probably a better offensive rebounder than defensive rebounder. He's just sort of a great nose for um, open space there. Uh, but yeah, Valentinus is important, and he was playing pretty well. And you lose a lot without him. I, I don't think it's insurmountable. In fact, I know it's not insurmountable. Uh, and this team, he's one of the, you know, they have three quality centers and then four if you add Iba if you add Ibaka. But it is a concern in this one or specific way. And if it keeps on being a problem as opposed to just one night, then you uh, you start to worry. But there's not much they can really do about it. So you're saying this is going to be surmounted. All right. Um, and, yeah. Um, and and the, the fact that he's on the trip is very good. And it just, you know, they would have kept him at home if he, if it were very severe and he needed, you know, no point putting him on a plane seven times or, or whatever it is. So I think, you know. They're not, they're not idiots. They know what they're doing. So hopefully uh, it will be sooner rather than later. Okay, uh, so question for you at, from the stretch run. Two questions, actually, and they both pertain to Dwayne Casey's rotations. And I will warn anyone listening, 
that if you disagree with a rotation choice late in a game and you end up being correct, or at least the other option was not correct, that doesn't mean that it sums up an entire coach's entire coaching career. Someone is not a garbage coach because they make one mistake in the stretch run of a game. Uh, Eric, though, I did take a little issue with two rotation moves from Dwayne Casey down the stretch. I thought at the start of the fourth quarter when the all-bench group went on a solid run and the Spurs called a timeout um, a little slow to adjust there, I probably wouldn't even have kept the bench unit out there into the final nine minutes. Uh, San Antonio responded a little slow on the timeout. And then I know Jakob Pertl needed a, a breather because otherwise he was going to play the last 15 or 16 minutes of the game. So when Lucas Nogueira came back in, I understood it. Uh, did you think that maybe Pertl should have played a bigger role in the final few minutes um, prior to Serge Ibaka getting fouled out? Um, so I don't have much of a problem with how he used the young guys out of the timeout. Uh, they were playing well. Uh, maybe he was a bit slow. Uh, to adjust, and maybe they should have burned a timeout, although the new rules concerning timeouts sort of dissuade you from burning a timeout to get a, you know, a, a starter or two back in Can't there. Can't take them with you, though. Uh, I didn't have much... What? Can't take them with you. Yeah. Um, so not, not a huge issue there. I did think one thing they could have done is when Ibaka picked up that questionable fifth foul, they just could have rode with him uh, and then per- put in Pirtle if and when he fouls out. Um, Lucas Nogueira was not having a very good game. He was overmatched in the post against Aldridge and wasn't doing much on the other end. And Pirtle was playing well. And yeah, Pirtle was up against his career high in minutes, which he tied, I believe. Um, but, you know, that's a winnable game on a tough road trip. And you would have liked to see the Raptors' two best options play the most important minutes of the game there. Yeah, that would have been uh, that would have been ideal. Uh, the Ser- Serge Ibaka also, on top of getting fouled out, uh, got into it with LaMarcus Aldridge, continuing his string of every opposing power forward just loathes Serge Ibaka. Uh, did you have uh, a thought on, you know, Aldridge and Ibaka going at it? Did you enjoy it? Did you kind of roll your eyes at it? Why does everyone hate Serge Ibaka, Eric? And, well, NBA agent uh, Bernie Lee, who's Jimmy Butler's agent, among others, said uh, Serge is the king of looking like he's ready to go after he's being held back, which I think we have some discernible proof against from last year and Robin Lopez. Yeah. Um, the specific case, I think it was typical sort of grappling under the rim. I think everybody was saying that that Aldridge was the instigator. Well, Aldridge caught Lowry, think, right? Uh, was it Aldridge that caught Lowry? Maybe I thought that's what I thought that's uh, what riled Serge up in the first place. I think, but I think Serge and uh, we can look at it again. But uh, Serge and, and Aldridge got sort of tangled up uh, there under the rim. I thought he, I thought Serge got uh, was like sort of pulling him by the arm a little bit, maybe um, in a way that happens multiple times throughout the game. Uh, I have no grand theory about why. Ibaka seems to find himself in the middle of these things. I thought that, uh, um, well, we, we can wait for your grand theory. I thought that, you know, Aldridge flat out shoving him could have warranted a technical. Um, like those, they did not do equal things in, in that skirmish, right? Like uh, was, Aldridge was clearly the guy who went closer to the edge. But that's not why the Raptors lost. This is true. My theory on why everyone hates Serge Ibaka, I don't know how many people you follow on Instagram, 
Eric? Yeah, I don't follow Serge okay. Ibaka. I, I follow all the Raptors because I feel like I have to, and then sometimes you get yeah, sometimes no, you get nuggets like Terrence Ross deleted a tweet, and you're the only one who knows him and Amber Rose broke up, or uh, you know Lucas Nogueira posting Portuguese motivational uh, things. Anyway, if you follow, yeah, no, it's a. Uh... I probably I probably should, but I like to keep my uh, Instagram timeline. So I would I would imagine so. then you don't follow follow very many jabronis. Uh, if you do have friends who are jabronis or follow too many people, you'll probably occasionally come across people posting gym selfies, sometimes topless gym selfies. Uh, Serge Ibaka is that guy, and I feel like maybe you know stuff happens on the court that makes people mad. But if you go into a game knowing that one of your opponents is like a shirtless gym selfie guy, you're already going to think certain things about him. So I think that's probably, you know, I think it says a lot about you if you're a shirtless gym selfie guy. And that's probably why Aldridge and Griffin and everyone else under the sun um, has a short fuse with Serge Ibaka. Uh, that is an airtight theory. I have a lot of those on this podcast I, today. I, I, I could not even begin to pick that apart with reason no, and logic there's no way um yeah it's uh what what sort of qualities does posting shirtless selfies uh like what does it vanity, say about you? Sure. other than you, you yeah yeah, uh, yeah a lack of self-awareness is one of the dead, is vanity one of the seven deadly sins it should be that's uh you you uh, keep on talking i'm gonna look up the seven deadly sins yeah, it, it should be because i feel like of the seven heavenly virtues, um, hating yourself and how you look is probably one of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, vainglory is one of the sins. So, uh, sorry, Serge. Damn. One of the deadliest, uh, apparently. Although although still <laughs> yeah. no one's really connected with them. So is it? maybe it's not that deadly. It's low-end yeah. deadly um, sin spectrum. Yeah. It is listed as number seven here on Wikipedia. Although there's there are eight that are listed are listed which but yet the title of the article is seven deadly sins so i don't understand maybe the eighth one isn't all that deadly or i don't know it's it's new it's new it's just burst onto the scene is it tweeting is it just tweeting (laughs) um yeah Yeah, we're gonna have to remake the movie seven now (laughs) deadly sin uh okay so i don't want to keep you too too long this morning uh the raptors will play the golden state warriors on wednesday That's obviously, you know, the Warriors haven't exactly hit the ground running, but they're the Golden State Warriors. The Toronto Raptors have also not necessarily hit the ground in their best form, buoyed a little bit by a a very easy first two games. Uh, What are you looking for from this one? Um, You know, is there a win on the table? Are you looking for kind of process elements from the Raptors uh, or any players in particular? Yeah, um, I'm not looking for a win in this one, which isn't to say it can't happen, but I don't expect anything is plausible. Uh, yeah, most things are plausible. Uh, I would, you know, I'm, I'm very curious. The offense is a curious thing to me, you know, like I'm, uh, it's so easy to get dissuaded when you have a night like that. And what if you have a second night like that? And what if you have a third night like that? And all of a sudden you're a good, you're, you think you're a good team, but you're on a three game losing streak. Uh, so their commitment to that is sort of the thing that I think we'll both be watching all season long. Uh, the Warriors aren't a particularly uh, physical team on the glass, that is. Like, they, they sort of give they give that up for, you know, having all of the shooters. <laughs> so you don't have to rebound. 
but the the Raptors should be able to hold their own even without Valanciunas in that one. And uh, other than that, you know, how does OG Ananobi get a look on Kevin Durant? Probably. It probably won't go that well. But, you know, somebody's Someone does him. have to guard him. Not necessarily well, though. That's going to be... That's going to be no. tough. I don't know where you, you just, this is what the Warriors are. You can't hide anyone anywhere. You can't, they're annoying. Here's, here's a thought. Um, and it's too early for this, but maybe it's not because it's been a, it's been a conversation for a few seasons now. Um, how do you feel about the Raptors almost always sticking with their usual starting lineup and not mixing and matching? I'm fine with it, especially this early in the year. Um, I don't, I don't love the idea of like changing what you're doing significantly game to game. I think there's something to be said for continuity and role certainty and stuff like that. Um, it is something that I would experiment with maybe more once they kind of have a footing about them, because like you will need, you know, you need that in the playoffs and I'd be advocating for it in the, in the playoffs when the leverage of every game and every minute is higher. Um, you know, I don't think it'll make sense in the regular season to bring Jonas Valanciunas off the bench or something like that. But it, against certain teams, if you wanted to, you know, when you have that Warriors Cavs back to back or if they're not back to back, but in the same week, you know, if you wanted to for that week, try Serge Ibaka at center to start games like you could you could justify it. But I don't think it's like a fault that they don't change what they're doing night to night. Yeah, I, I mean, Especially given the time of year it is. I, yeah, I'm there's enough change going on. Advocating that necessarily. But it's just, you know, it gets back to what I wrote in the Philadelphia game, which is, you know, pretty much half of the league's teams are sort of wing and big wing heavy. And that's not the Raptors' strength. I mean, like they don't have a bunch of proven wings who are in, you know, the 6'7", six, 6'8", six, uh, uh, range. In fact... How tall is CJ Miles? About that, six six, six seven. Yeah, so they have one maybe, and I mean, everybody DeMar's else is big. shorter. And then you hope that yeah, he's six five. Um, uh, well, who knows? But uh, he's not. You know, he's not your typical small forward type. Even though we don't like to use positions anymore. Uh, so those, uh, yeah. Um, so you hope that OG Ananobi is what he's shown to be all season long, but. Rookies tend not to be one thing all season long. Uh, and maybe at some point, Alfon- Alfonso McKinney pops or Bruno has some moments. Pascal Siakam uh, but... is sitting there and is pretty versatile defensively, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, so I'm not short answer is I'm not for them changing right now. Uh, the long answer is I think it would be good to have your guys you know, four through eight, four through nine guys used to a bunch of different yeah, roles. Yeah, that would probably help come playoff time when you might need to change things up. Um, it's just... Yeah, and it's not like they're going to do a bunch of different things in, you know, whether they're starting or on the bench. It would just get them more familiar with diff- different rhythms of the game and different leverage Here, points. Here's a legitimate hot so, take, um, not a fake one. Yeah. Um, against some teams, it would oh. make more sense to bring Serge Ibaka off the bench than Jonas Valanciunas and go four out around four out around a center who doesn't sink your rebounding. You Serge know who Ibaka. wouldn't like that? But like the, my point is more that like if we're looking at this and we're looking at opponents where CJ Miles slotting in the starting lineup or OG Ananobi or whomever, um, opponents that make sense against in the regular season, you run into this issue then that you have three capable centers now on the bench. Serge Ibaka playing 
X amount of minutes at the center position where your rebounding is going to be poor uh, and where he's going to take more of a, a physical toll. And then you have no wings or forwards off the bench to kind of fill in for these smaller guys. So this is why I wasn't in favor of Valanciunas coming off the bench to start the year because like depth wise, it just doesn't make a ton of sense. So um, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, I don't yeah. think that's going to happen, Playoff questions. but uh, I can see Playoff the questions. logic behind it. Okay, uh, anything else you wanted to? I'm, I'm getting, see in yeah, six months, I'm I bothering guess. myself so much right now. I'm in no. my own head because I try to set up this new audio setup and then I'm not using it. Like, I'm so conscious of every P sound that I make because the pop filter's not on. The pop filter that I just bought is not on. And uh, this is, uh, it's been a morning, Eric. I'm glad we got to talk for 30, 35 minutes or so. Um, I feel a little better now. Yeah. I will not feel well, better good. later when Julian um, Baker kills me at the Opera House. But that's, uh, yeah. Don't die. You had a concert this weekend, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I saw the World of on Sunday. And they were... See, this was like a Massey Hall concert. Uh, I mean, it was at Massey Hall. But it, what I mean by that is if it was a concert that was not at Massey Hall, it would have been average to whatever like band plays their songs it's fine i like that band um but the war on drugs like they sort of they put to there's so many different elements and intricate sounds and massey hall picks up all of them uh so it the venue definitely elevated nice. the performance uh which is good which is pretty good there was a really depressing opener before that called the building uh, I listened to them yesterday while writing, and I don't think I will do so again. Not that they're bad, but they're sort of quiet and, you know, hard on, a bit hard on sleeve lyrically. I always like, for me. you um, know, I don't, I don't feel a rush to get to shows in time for the opener, but I've come across some good bands that I, that I like quite a lot. Like two years ago, I saw Front Bottoms the day of Marco Estrada's Game 5 performance, so I showed up, uh, you know, already in a state um, and caught a couple songs from Smith Street Band, who have now become like one of my favorite bands. And I saw them uh, headline not that long ago. And uh, just on Friday, I saw Sorority Noise at the Opera House and a band called Great Grandpa opened for them, who I had like fired up on Spotify once or twice before and just like listened to a song. Um, they're going to be they're going to be good and popular soon, I think. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean... If I can catch part of the opening band's performance, I'm about that. But yeah, I'm not gonna. Yeah, like tonight, I'm not gonna. To I'm so. not gonna rush to because get the halfway so, before so Julian many... Baker if I'm enjoying some beers. Yeah, because I have so many things yes. going so, on. Yes, so I'm in the you midst of a stretch right yeah. now where for ten also, straight nights I have a game or a concert. Yeah. Well, maybe there's a reason you're. Yeah. Not feeling that. Good. Maybe maybe if I didn't fill all my nights, I'd be feeling even worse. Who knows? Um, yes, Caitlin's coming on uh, once I let you go. So you don't have to talk about Riverdale. We can talk about you. Actually, I was going to bring up the good place again. We talked it pretty good last week. Uh, when you did the, yeah, we talked talked it good. good. Uh, Um, (laughs) when when you said pretty good a while ago, it reminded me, I don't know if you've been watching Curb Your Enthusiasm is extremely bad now. It's so bad. I haven't been watching. I, I've never uh, I've never, this is going to sound weird. I've been never that been that into it. And like, I was never that into Seinfeld and you would think that would match my sense of humor. And it's not like I dislike these shows. Like I watch tons of Seinfeld and I own a few seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasm. 
and they're relatable, but maybe I found them too relatable, and I just didn't want to see it and see my life or a heightened. This is why you don't like Riverdale too. It just reminds you of your high school life when you were the hot, popular quarterback sleeping with every girl and every teacher, but you were still so. I I was just. <laughs> I was juggy. Yeah, but you're luckily you you your writing grew. Is he even gonna survive the series? I'm not sure. I feel like when the show starts um, floundering, killing you, off Jughead uh, is gonna be the one big card they have to play. I won't go off on Riverdale, but uh I don't know if you or Caitlin have seen Zodiac, but uh the end of that episode as pointed out by my uh, former colleague at Post Media, Jordan Tim, directly stole from I don't even Zodiac. remember how the episode ended. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no, I got it, I got it. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. that was basically a scene in yeah. Zodiac. Yeah, that uh, that sounds familiar. And now it looks familiar. Mm-hmm. Who Zodiac plays the Zodiac killer in that movie? Oh, it's uh, John Carroll... What's his face? Is it John Carroll Oates? Is that his name? Let's look it up. This is compelling John Lynch? audio content right here. Oh, John that Carroll guy. Lynch, yes. Yeah, yeah, cool. The guy who looks kind of like Kane or Paul Heyman had a baby. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the suspected Zodiac killer. I don't think it was ever proven. Uh, just ruining Zodiac for everybody. Uh, I just recently watched it for the first time on a flight, I believe, home from training camp. Um, yeah, well, really the thing good. is, is that really it, obviously the movie wasn't accurate since Ted Cruz is still out there. Uh, my favorite Zodiac, yeah, yeah, my favorite Zodiac oh, yeah. related thing is in Seven Psychopaths. When what have you seen Seven Psychopaths? How okay, so there are basically not. this guy and his wife. Um, he rescued before she's his wife, he rescues her from like a psycho serial killer guy, and then. They like go, decide to go around killing serial killers. So they're a ser- one of the seven psychopaths are is a serial killer, serial killer, uh, and they kill the Zodiac in, yeah. in like just a throwaway montage scene. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good movie. It's it's exceptionally well acted. Uh, it sounds like I recommend one. it. Yeah. All right. Well. Okay. I'll keep Any other uh, hot TV now, movie or music takes before we let you go and bring in Caitlin for Riverdale Reason Bliss? No, I'm uh I'm good. I think I'm good. Uh, prestige movie season. I haven't seen a single movie yet. Uh, in the there are fall, a lot of good so ones coming out. Should probably remedy that. Sounds like a lot of the a lot of the TIFF stuff starting yeah. to filter out the theaters now. Uh, Florida Project yeah. sounds like a movie you would really enjoy yeah, based on the uh, description that was given to me. Yeah. Um, well, we shall see. I I usually see uh, two movies on Christmas Day back to back. I might Uh-oh. may or may not pay for both. You of also them. sneaking candy. Uh, so. If you're if you're the police, uh, no comment. cover your ears for one second. Um, <laughs> uh, so I think both of uh, both of the last two years, uh, we have seen double Oscar bait movie. Uh, last year or two years ago, it was um, what was the movie with what's her face with Kate Blanchett, um, Carol, Carol and Spotlight was that year's. Uh, Doubleheader, and this year's or this past year's was um, Manchester by the Sea and Moonlight, which was a huge yeah. pick me up of a day. I actually had a, had a great uh, time. I will just say I will be <laughs> watching five good. consecutive NBA um, games. That's what I do. Yeah, yeah. Usually I get home and 
watch a bit of one. You know, one but, day, you know, one day the Raptors will finally start to get respect. Uh, they'll be playing on Christmas Day and they'll hate it. They'll be so mad that they've grown to the point of being respected. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be so bad. Uh, all right, Eric. Uh, we'll let you go here. We kept you a little too long. We'll talk to you guys next week uh, after the Raptors have played the Golden State Warriors, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the Portland Trailblazers. There'll be four games into this six-game trip, uh, which means they'd still have two to go. This, this is a long, long trip. Two, a two-and-a-half podcast-length trip. Unbelievable. Yeah, I wrote about that at The Athletic as well, if you want to read it, uh, about the lengthening schedule. And There you go. Uh, we'll be right back. Trips. With Riverdale Reasonless with Caitlin McGrath. Eric, thanks so much, man. Riverdale, 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 Riverdale. Hey, welcome back to Riverdale Reasonablists. Uh, the five-minute segment we're going to have on the end of this podcast. As long as Riverdale is around, warming our hearts, uh, keeping our attention, making us yearn for the days of our hot teen youths. Joining me is the Riverdale Reasonablist, Caitlin McGrath, our wonderful editor at The Athletic Toronto. Caitlin, how are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm so excited for our... First Riverdale Reasonless chat. Yeah, we Eric and I just finished the Raptors side of the podcast, and it sounded like he wanted to get into it, but I shut it down because he's not he he doesn't have good Riverdale takes like you and I have. He hasn't earned it. He's uh he's ruined his shot. That's exactly it. He lost his opportunity. He didn't appreciate it while he had it. Yeah. And uh, you know, now he's gone the way of you know several characters in Riverdale already this season. Did um so. The one thing we're going to run into is that we're going to record this most of the time on Tuesdays. Uh, Riverdale airs Wednesday night, so we're we're kind of at the end of the the Riverdale cycle here. So, um, Caitlin, refresh us a little bit on your thoughts from last week's episode, which was uh, season two, episode two of this very terrific show. What 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 did you think of the last episode? Well, luckily, I only watched it on Sunday because I sort of reserved time on the weekends to watch it. And I usually watch it on Fridays, but this week it got pushed back. So it's kind of fresh in my mind, actually. Good. Um, it's very murdery this season. Um, yeah. And I kind of, like, wonder if there was, like, a focus group and they were like, we really liked the murder mystery plot of last season. And the writers this year were like, okay, we're going all murders all the time. Because uh, that seems to be the theme. So many people are dying. A lot of people are dying, and I I don't know what the theme of season one was. I guess it was just, like, teen angst, but not not a particularly great encapsulation of teen angst, since Archie had everything possible going his way. Um, but yeah, if murder is the theme this time around, they're off to a great start, because Fred Andrews was shot, not killed. He's still hanging around so that Archie, you know, can stay up late banging a baseball bat on his kitchen floor uh, like a weirdo. Um, we've lost Miss Grundy. We've lost, who was it, Moose and Midge at the end of the last episode? Yeah. yeah. A lot. Sorry. I mean, if anyone's listening to the Riverdale Reasonless one day before the new episode airs, uh, I'm sorry for any spoilers, but we gave you an intro lead-in and everything. So it's your own fault if you're still listening and have, and are trying to avoid spoilers at this point. So. Yeah, I think like, um, there's like a period of time that passes in which spoilers are okay. So Moose and Midge getting knocked off. Um, obviously they hadn't done enough for us to really invest in that, but are you surprised that they killed off characters who, at least in the comic books, are, like, secondary characters? Um, not really, because I feel like the show doesn't really follow the comic books closely at all. Truthfully, I didn't even read them. I wasn't really into them as a kid. I wasn't into any comics as a kid, so it's not just a thing about Archie. 
Um, but no, not really. I think the show is just doing like whatever it wants. And truthfully, like I had to start, sort of double check who those characters were. Um, <laughs> not really like big in the show. Um, I sort of, I did listen to Eric last week and I kind of agree with him that it would be interesting if they had like put, um, Fred Andrews like in a coma, maybe not like kill him off, but I think that the like sort of arc of that storyline finished up too quickly because it would have been a little bit more interesting. And then you would have got a better storyline maybe than like Archie just staying up all night which obviously is not going to work for very long because, you know, like, you can't do that. You can't just stay up forever. Um, so I sort of agree with him there that sometimes the show, like, rushes sort of, like, its most interesting parts. And I find sometimes it hangs on to things that I find, like, less interesting. Um, so I don't know, like, this murder, the, the two murders, I mean, we don't even know if they're dead. I, can, I assume they're dead. They were shot at pretty close range, but... Um, they're dead. Assuming they're dead. Um, I don't know how long, like, the show will, like, hang on to, like, these murders. Um, because they're, again, they weren't, like, huge characters in the show. But to have, like, two students at a school, like, murdered is obviously a big deal. And having all these murders at this small town that seemingly had, like, no crime, uh, before, like, last year or whenever the show, like, time frame is. Um, so I think your question was, like, something about... (laughs) what about killing off these characters and I don't really think it's a big deal I think that they were just used as like plot device like as devices to like pu- push forward this kind of like um murder rampage that is hitting Riverdale and adjoining towns because Miss Grundy was obviously in another town yeah, by the way Miss Grundy who was chased out of town for having sex with a student and went like the equivalent of Mississauga yes like she went right across the river and then statutory rape met like boys in that town and yeah like she's right down the street archie could have very easily still been seeing miss grundy not effective not an effective strategy there um and i did go back and like figure out what happened with miss grundy and the whole deal was like the parents were like we won't call the cops on you if you leave town or like you gotta leave riverdale but I feel like they probably were like, mm, and go further than the next town. Like, I feel like yeah. they kind of didn't follow the agreement there. Um, so with Moose and Midge, I have two thoughts from it. Uh, one is that I think the main reason to kill off some ancillary characters like that is because now I, I think we can kind of kill the idea that this is strictly related to Archie, where it was like Fred and Miss Grundy back to back. Um even though, like, a serial killer would have to be the worst serial killer to, for his first serial kill to be at Pop's Chocolate Shop. But, like, now there's not really a common thread tying the murders together. So no. um, whether that was meant as, you know, whether this was meant to throw us off the scent or to create the image that this is a serial killer and not someone out to get Archie, um, I think it's sort of that purpose. And then you mentioned, you know, we don't know for sure they're dead. I do think it'd be really funny if, like, this guy was just the worst serial killer, and everyone kept surviving, and he just, like, seriously harmed them. Like, like he shot Fred, but Fred survived, and then we find out later that, like, Miss Grundy was, like, only knocked out, uh, and then these two, like, I don't know, he hit Moose in the shoulder or something like that. I do think that would be funny and, like, very, I don't know, it would fit, it would fit the comics for sure, where, like, you can't have people die. Yeah, and it would also fit, like, kind of, like, CW, like, teen shows, where it's, like, sometimes 
characters don't die. Like they have a lot of like close calls, but characters don't ever die unless they're like, unless they're like, I want off the show and then they kill you season four, the OC. Okay. So I have to ask you, we'll, we'll try to keep this segment tight every week, but it's going to end with the same question. Every time last season, it would have been who killed Jason Blossom this time around. Caitlin, who shot Fred Andrews and everyone else and killed Miss Grundy with a cello bow gifted by yeah. Um, great murder weapon, by the way. Yeah, I know. Really spectacular. Um, oh, I don't know. Like, I, I have not, I don't really have any theories yet. The only clue we have is like this green eyes person. Um, I don't know. I really don't. Do you have a theory? Like, no, it's, it's so early in the season. The answer has to be that we don't know. Right. I mean, like, I don't know. I think that it probably is not going to be related to like, um, the lodges, though, that's one thing. I think that you're going to see that there's going to be, like, two major storylines. And maybe they're going to, like, overlap at some point. But I don't think, like, the lodges, like, financial schemes are going to be, like, directly related to these murders. If you know what I mean. Like, they're probably going to cross at some point. Because these shows always do that. But I don't think that they're, they're like, buying the diner and, like, being all sneaky as a couple has anything necessarily directly to do with the murders? You know what I mean? Yeah, it'd be, it would be weird for them also to be, you know, paying to have, like, like the Lodges have no attachment to Miss Grundy or Moose or Mitch. It would be, yeah, it'd be weird. Exactly. The one thing I uh, want to say quickly before is I find that they write um, Veronica's dialogue with her parents very strangely. Um, there's like a few, she just talks like, like not like a teen would ever talk to her parents. And I find that the, when she's talking to her friends, she sounds like a normal teen. And when she's talking to her parents, she just always sounds like she's like, I don't even know. Like, she, like she knows she's on TV or it's like a performance or something like that. Um, yeah, I think they're intentionally having her code switch because like to try to give the air that like she was so rich and fancy before. But yeah, I'm with you. It doesn't come off particularly well. Uh, one more quick question before I let you go. Yeah. New Reggie, yay or nay? Um, I, I, I feel like they did a pretty good job casting the new one to sort of remind you very much of the old one so <laughs> it's fine i barely noticed um and i'm i'm all in on new reggie yeah all right uh caitlin thank you so much for coming on thank you guys thanks for listening we will talk to you next week with a new episode of riverdale to break down as well as three more raptors games on their west coast trip this has been raptors and riverdale reasonableists uh caitlin have a great week you too, thank you. If only to be a reasonable man.